Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dorsey Wright Podcast. I'm Ian Saunders. And I'm Eric McArdle. And it is Wednesday, October 2nd. First podcast of the fourth quarter of 2019. Um, And as we do um, at the end of most quarters, uh, th- this week, most of the research here from the from the Dorsey Wright analyst team is going to focus around um, taking a look back at the third quarter, uh, some trends that we saw there, and potentially maybe what we can expect as we head down uh, head down the fourth quarter here to round out 2019. Uh, so we, we've seen quite a quite some interesting movement over the past uh, few weeks here, um, but there's a specific point that we were taking a look at in an earlier article from the Wall Street Journal. Is that right, Eric? Yeah, and the journal did a nice job in summarizing the recent quarter, putting a couple talking points together. And we kind of wanted to frame our conversation today around those talking points in a sense, but then also bring it back to the technicals. And, you know, we start with domestic equities. The S&P so far this year has done pretty well, right? Up uh, about 19% on the year. And in quarter three, eking out a return of uh, just north of 1% at 1.2%. So not the strongest quarter, but in the black nonetheless. And you know this quarter was was marred by a strong start. Came out of quarter two, holding up well. Domestic equities were, were showing a lot of strength, and then we saw a little bit of volatility in August. Right, mm-hmm. made it through August. September seemed to regain strength, and again pushed us over the finish line for the end of the quarter in the black. So you know, starting the Q4 with a little bit of momentum, so to speak, and you know within domestic equities. We've noticed a couple of trends, and we've talked about them to you all over you know recent weeks and months. But what what do we see in particular, Ian? You know anything that stood out from a factor or a group perspective within domestic equities? Yeah. So just from an initial standpoint, right, taking a look at your your size and style breakdowns of the domestic equities, uh, we've seen throughout the year that large caps kind of been leading the way, uh, right, followed by mid cap and then small cap bringing up the year, bringing up the rear rather, uh, underperforming really throughout 2019, uh, it's larger mid counterparts. And that trend was continued in, in the third quarter of this year. Um, we saw, as you mentioned, the S&P 500 uh, just over 1.2%, uh, whereas the um, small cap, the 600 index fund of iShares, ticker IJR, uh, was down just over half a percent. So um, seeing that as the lower of the lower return of the uh, just the individual size breakdowns there, um, and that trend is something that we've seen continued throughout 2019. Your large cap uh, category is going to be those uh, higher performing names on a year to date basis, and the small caps are going to be those areas that have underperformed on on the year. SPY is up on just almost 19 percent, as you mentioned there, and we're seeing that that. Uh, IJR small cap 600 fund um, is still positive and in double digit territory, uh, but not quite as positive. So uh, up just south of 13% at 12.3. So still seeing strength from those areas and um, definitely a point that we can continue to monitor here as we head down the fourth quarter to see if that trend might be changed um, in the fourth quarter this year, or if that's something that we'll see continue throughout the year. Yeah, and, and this you know all comes back to really solidifying domestic equities number one spot among the broader asset classes, right? This is a, a story that we've been telling for the last three years, where domestic equities rank number one in Dolly, and at this time, you know, are displaying one of their widest margins of leadership uh, throughout that period. Right, so you've had some other asset classes move around uh, throughout the quarter. You know, we did see 
international shows some weakness uh, and has has shown some weakness on the year relative to other asset classes. But notably, when we look in the international space, you know, developed has done relatively better than emerging markets, and and this is displayed you know in a couple of places. But if we look on just the the trend charts for ticker EFA, so the iShares MSCI EFA ETF. You know, still displaying a fund score, uh, which again is going to be from zero to six uh, of about 2.3. So still suboptimal, but on a buy signal, testing that bearish resistance line right now on the default chart. So, you know, showing a little bit of near term strength as opposed to EEM, the iShares Emerging Markets ETF, which has really had confirmed weakness through the year. We run a second consecutive sell signal. Uh, still in a negative trend, you know, and, and have a bit of margin between testing that trend line. So, um, you know, a story of two international markets, so to speak. Um, and I think it's, you know, for those of you who are investing abroad, it's really important to know, you know, what area of that international market's in favor. And, and going forward, it does appear that developed uh, is showing more strength. Absolutely. And, and specifically, they're looking at within the developed space, right? There's a variety of countries that we can take a look at from a broader perspective. Developed has been outperforming emerging. We saw a little bit of a pickup from some areas in emerging markets. And then as Q3 uh, came to an end, uh, developed still kind of maintained that, that top spot. Uh, but within developed markets, seen some interesting developments from uh, uh, <laughs> good pun there we go interesting developments from um, some specific countries in there namely with Japan uh, we're seeing Japan has been a name that has been largely out of favor for quite a while now um, and while it's wouldn't necessarily be considered to be um, in favor currently um, is showing signs of improvement if we take a look at some of the individual ETFs that have been leading the international equity space um, especially there in the third quarter um, Japan was actually the second highest performing fund in the international kind of equity breakdown. Um, and it, interestingly enough, it was a small cap Japan fund. So the ticker mm-hmm. SCJ, the iShares Japan small cap ETF, was up almost 5% um, in just the three months from June, uh, or rather from July, August, and September, um, which was south of Turkey, which was up in double digits, um, but uh, kind of alone there in that, in that space looking at names that have um, shown real positive gains uh, there for the third quarter of 2019. Um, and looking at some areas that have underperformed, we're seeing um, some names that would make sense, right? You're seeing some Chinese markets, that, Chinese market ETFs that have shown uh, quite a bit of weakness there over the past several months, um, Hong Kong ETFs as well. Um, as well as some some dividend e- ETF names um, that are underperforming there in the emerging market space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and, and you know I was just pulling up Japan on asset class group scores while you were talking, and you know it's interesting to see because that's that's been an area of the global market that's really been down in the dumps for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I think at one point here recently it was uh, at least you know within the bottom tenth uh, percentile of all the groups that we survey. And now as a group that's that's up to a 2.79 average fund score with a positive score direction of 1.57. Hmm. So really interesting to see what's happening out in the Far East. Um, and then having the, the dichotomy between the Japanese equities and the Chinese equities, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, it's, all, all, again, always, always cool to check on the indicators and, and see really where you can refine that international exposure. Absolutely. And when we're seeing um, some of those changes, right, we're seeing a fair amount of 
kind of strength changes in the international space in general. Some names start to outperform, and then they, they might fall off, namely Latin America. That has been up and down throughout the year, right? Um, so if you're looking for some potential exposure to international and want to kind of reduce that volatility, uh, there are a fair amount of low-volatility international funds that you can take a look at. Um, specifically, if you're looking for international developed, um, ticker IDLV, the Invesco International Developed Low Volatility Portfolio, um, as a real solid fund score right now, 4.58. Um, seen, seen it hold up relatively well here throughout the past several months, and it gives you about a 3.5% yield there. So definitely a name um, to take a look at there, specifically with the developed and that low volatility aspect. Absolutely. And you know when we pivot away from the international space into you know an area that has actually benefited from international's weakness, and we look at the fixed income space. And you know over the last quarter, uh, we've experienced as investors and, and bystanders uh, some of the lowest rates we've seen in you know in years, really. Um, the ten-year yield, you know, moving to to lows. Uh, the thirty-year yield moving to near record lows, and you know what that's done in return is propel the fixed income asset class higher, right? We've seen bonds rally on the year, uh, particularly long duration debt. And you know, in recent, I'd say in the recent month, you've seen a little bit of pullback there as yields spiked up. But even today, you know, we're pulling up the chart on TNX for the ten-year yield. You know, today's action has the yield index returning to a sell signal, so moving lower once again. And it will be interesting to keep an eye on fixed income broadly as that asset class has gained a significant amount of buy signals in Dolly, mm-hmm. right? So we saw international start the year uh, with you know around 250 or so, and then has lost about 50 uh, with fixed income gaining. And you've had a pretty pretty close battle between those two for the number two spot. Now international still holding a, a fairly decent margin for that number two spot relative to fixed income in number three. But that said, you know the, this near-term and intermediate-term outperformance of the fixed income asset class has really helped uh, gain relative strength points relative to other other asset classes. Absolutely, and taking a look at other rankings too, the Dolly, as you mentioned there, um, fixed income is still in the third ranking, separated by, by 15 spots from international. But if you look at some other rankings we have on the platform, the asset class group scores page, um, we saw the, some fixed income names rise uh, quite significantly there, a few of them coming in to the top end of those um, asset class group score rankings. Um, and we're still seeing a few names that are hanging around up there, namely uh, those longer duration areas. So general bond long, as well as U.S. government long, or still have fund scores above that uh, 4.0 average. Um, but those names were, were also areas that became pretty heavily overbought there in August um, and are you know, pulled back from those overbought levels, on, at least on an average basis, here over the last few weeks. Um, so definitely another point to, to monitor there, seeing a little bit of pickup on the overbought side. Um, score directions have flipped back to positive for both of those groups. Um, so some interesting developments that we might have there um, heading into the last three months of the year. And when you say overbought, one thing that comes to my mind from recent activity is gold, right? Mm-hmm. Gold had rallied so hard, you know, within really the last couple of months, um, so quickly that it did move to heavily overbought levels uh, from an asset class perspective as well as from an individual fund perspective. So, for example, if we're looking at the Spider Gold Trust ticker GLD, you know, that had been a fund that had had really broken out past multiple resistance levels, setting multi-year highs uh, within the last quarter. And 
you know, since since hitting those multi-year highs, has then pulled back a bit to a more normalized level where it, it trades today, actually slightly on the oversold end of the 10-week trading band. So gold in uh, GLD still displaying an optimal fund score of 4.72, so still a very favorable area of the market, relatively speaking. And the outperformance within gold has really helped you know, propel commodities, or at least hold them up a bit, right? Mm -hmm. Still not a favored asset class by any means. You've had crude oil move move a good bit throughout the year um, and showing weakness, you know, in the near term once again. But gold has really, you know, given given a little bit of momentum to the asset class. And you know, at this point again, I think it's interesting with all of the uncertainty in the market, all of the risk that, you know, is potentially facing us in the month of October and in quarter four with Trade and tariff concerns, uh, potential Brexit, you know, final deal, well, whatever that looks like, <laughs> you know, and then and then uh, political risk at home, right? We have you know impeachment proceedings that are beginning, and who knows what that's going to look like. Or um, so it's you know it's always always interesting to be able to then rely on something like the fund score or any of the indicators and really drown the noise out of, of the headlines, right? And, and look at the markets in an objective way. So, you know, all that said, uh, gold has, has been an area to watch. Um, you know, and we look elsewhere in the currencies, right, with, with the, the final uh, broader asset class outside of cash within the DALI rankings, you know, foreign currencies haven't done very well, right? On, on a broad basket basis, um, and a lot of that is attributed to a continuously strong U.S. dollar. So if we look at the Invesco U.S. dollar index fund, UUP, you know, this is uh, trading at multi-year highs, um, second consecutive buy signal, right? An acceptable fund score of 3.73. So all that said, you know, just attesting to the strength of the dollar, which continues to march higher, you know, throughout uh, really the last you know couple of years. So um, that, that's been an interesting development as well, and it looks like that's going to carry forward into quarter four. Absolutely, and that'll be a point to, to monitor too with the um, all of the kind of outside um, information that you mentioned there that's kind of coming to the markets, whether it's Brexit, whether it's um, the trade war, that as you start to see some of that um, that might be uh, finalized or move, moved forward here over the next few weeks, um, especially they're looking at the trade war, that could definitely come to affect some of those currency movements, affect the international space if we've been discussing there. Um, so a, a lot up in the air um, in the as we're heading down the last three months of the year. But from the longer-term technical perspective, especially here with domestic equities, still showing that longer-term strength, um, the domestic equities, number one on the DALI rankings, and most of the groups in the top end of that asset class group scores page um, are going to be domestic equity-related names, right? Um, so we're still seeing uh, strength overall in lower volatility areas as well um, as, as we head down the the last three months here. Uh, most of the areas within domestic equity specifically that were the highest performing ETFs uh, during the third quarter were uh, a lot of low vol names in there. Looking, SPLV was the top performing fund um, from a broader domestic equity perspective, up just over 5%. Um, and then we have mid cap low vol as well as small cap low vol in there as well. Um, so even though um, mid cap and small cap have been underperforming their larger cap counterparts uh, thus far throughout the year, we're still seeing those low volatility spaces continue to outperform most of the other things uh, there from a, from a 
broader domestic equity perspective. Yeah, that's right. And, and in looking at some of those top ETF performances, you know, on the, the last quarter, you notice dividend appreciation or dividend growth names as well. So uh, typically, these are going to be associated with the blend style category, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, that's something to note. And you're seeing that and we've, we've mentioned this before, you know, in recent months um, on recent episodes of the podcast where, you know, you're starting to see a few of the models, namely FSM models, um, start to add exposure to large blend areas, right? These dividend achieving names. Um, so that's another uh, development to watch, you know, and not to say that growth is showing any weakness per se, but um, the blend name certainly showing relative strength in this case. Mm-hmm. And you can see that on, um, on a, a breakdown looking at top performing names in the third quarter and then the top performing names on a year-to-date basis. The third quarter started to sprinkle in, as you mentioned, some of those, some of the value funds or the, the dividend funds. But from a, a year-to-date perspective, still looking at those higher performing funds being those momentum, those growth, um, with some low vol sprinkled on there as well. So now whether the, the next three months uh, sees a change there is to be determined, uh, but at least currently um, still seeing the continued relative strength there in that space. Absolutely. Well, I think we went around the world and back. Um, <laughs> Literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> any any other updates for our listeners that we want to share? Uh, a few tidbits that we have here coming up soon. Uh, we have registration that is still open for the fall 2019 Point and Figure Institute. Uh, that's going to be held here in Richmond, Virginia. Um, so for those who may not know, the Point and Figure Institute is an event that we put on two times a year, uh, one in the spring that we do in Las Vegas, and then one in November that we do here in Richmond. Um, it'll be at the Jefferson Hotel, beautiful hotel here in the heart of Richmond. Um, it's going to be a two and a half day event. So if you're interested in signing up for that, Signups are filling up pretty quickly. We do have a maximum capacity for that event. So if you're interested in signing up and waiting to waiting on that, definitely want to make sure you go in and at least take a look at that because um, you don't want to uh, miss miss the memo, miss the window there, um, and have signups be filled. So um, you can find a link for that either in the events section of the website or in the Daily Equity Report in the War You Aware article from yesterday. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, I think that about covers it. We'll see you Monday, and if not, we'll talk to you next week.